Hey everyone, before we jump in, I just want to warn you that today's episode contains content and stories that may be alarming to some listeners. So please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions. Thanks so much. Coming up on Man Enough. Is this the one? You gonna spend your life on this car? Yes. Did you know that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was there a moment or was it like a so build? I think that I've had this goal as a kid since, you know, I was driving around with my mom, listening to Alicia Keys and just hearing this love and hearing everything I need to, to, you know, really understand what I want to be when I'm older with a family, with a wife, with mm -hmm. kids. And when I look in my partner's eyes, I see that. I see my future. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Man Enough Podcast. Uh, you're here with Jamie Heath. Liz Plank. And Justin is not with us. I think, honestly, Liz, I think uh -huh. the audience is getting a bit more used to Justin not being because he's been so yeah, busy that we've done several episodes without him. We have, we but he's him. always here, right? He just like FaceTimed carry... a little while ago. He did? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, missed I it. missed it. So uh, um, he sends his love and yeah. hellos to everybody. And his presence is felt, right? It is. Like, no matter what. He's not with us right now. Obviously, he's standing in solidarity with the strike, the SAG strike, as he's an actor. But we are here representing him in our spirit, mm -hmm. maybe in our and voices. I will try. Hey, how you been? I am good. I'm Th good. That outfit right there. Do you like it? Come on now. It's, I was told it's giving like kindergarten teacher energy, which I love, uh, which is my, that's my mood board. Um, that's it? It's not, it's not Vogue. It's like, kin, like fun kindergarten teacher. If I give off that vibe, I'm so happy. <laughs> I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. You're too, uh, well, you might give off kindergarten teacher, but you're <laughs> teaching kindergartners oh. who are like in college. Yes. Because you're super brilliant. Or I'm learning from them. Kindergartners, oh, yeah. we should do a show with kindergartners. We would learn so much. You do? No, no, they don't. Them. Okay. You no, no, they're enough. great, but no okay. thanks. Okay, okay, got it. I don't it. want them here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want them here. I didn't yes. mean that. Yeah. I want my kids here, Liz. Yes. Why would you sure. suggest no, such a thing? No, I, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I love to miss them, though. Do I ever said that out loud yeah, before? I love missing them. It's I mean, fun to I miss love them. I love when they're one. here, but when you miss yeah. them, that means they're asleep. And it's like, oh, I miss my kids, but that yes. means you get alone time. Yeah. Um, my wife might say it more than I do, but. Um. Are you going to golf? Are you still going to golf instead of helping her with the kids in the morning? <laughs> or we're doing a check-in. Sorry. How many Is months that has being it been? Jesus. Um, excuse me. You just can so call the record. me out on my stuff. I don't know what I did I would do. Okay. I probably still Hold doing it. Hold on a second. I don't go to golf instead of help with the kids. You go, but you get up for golf and you but make yourself do it. But the conversation has been there is mornings that I will get up at five in the morning to go golf. Yes. And yet there are times when I don't get up at five in the morning to help with the kids. Right. That's the point. Not that and I don't help with the kids, just for clarity. Sure. Or, or do my part with the sure. kids. Sure. And so Tasha was here and asked you point blank to make an effort with this yes. a couple months ago. Yes. How's indeed. it going? We'll have to call her right now. We won't call her right now, but we'll call her after the podcast okay. and we'll let her answer that. So that my that words aren't just like words. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no, I, I don't want to just say something. No, it's not a deflection at all. I'm saying you can call yes. her. But for the audience, yes, in fact, um, I 
other than the fact that I've well, been you've in been New away. Jersey for the yes. last two sure. and a half months It's hard filming. to get up yet but, with um, the kids. But yes, yes, indeed. You've been working, yes, yes, remote. I just want to be clear because, you know, when we did that podcast last time uh-huh. with her here, the narrative went to Jamie doesn't show up for his kids. No. And everything is, the, you know, of course, that's like the 5% that comments, but the 5% have a big microphone. Sure. And that frames it. So I just want to be clear that I'm a present father. Of course. And, you know, with, yes. with my kids. But I can certainly be better at getting up in the morning. And that was that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a lot a conversation a lot of couples are having. And it was very vulnerable and brave for you yeah. two to have it on air. Oof. And then I got a lot of darts. But hey, bring and, the darts. I don't mind darts. Good. Bring them. You know, yes. They sting sometimes, but that's all right. Yeah. And that's better yeah. than, no, I, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm always, you know, yeah. I, I, everything's great. Like acknowledging the problem and yeah. that you're working through it. That's yeah. what being in a relationship Hey, it's all about. We just want to be better. Yeah. And speaking of being better, mm-hmm. um, we have guests on our show sometimes. We do. Well, most of the time we have guests on our show. And if you want to see our guests, you where? should check us out on YouTube. Oh, is that where they can yes. find us? Yes, they can watch our faces. Watch my—you talked about my dress so that yeah. they can see what what, mm-hmm. what fancy little uh, number I have on. Kindergarten. Kindergarten show. vibes yeah. I'm going for. Uh, and they can watch the full episodes. Not um, just listen to it in all the places you yes. can find podcasts. Right. But they can watch us. Yeah. Uh, which is good because sometimes we have guests on that uh, are worth looking at. We not have because, one today. I we got one say, today. That, he's not that, bad to look uh, at. Okay. <laughs> I got to agree with you on that one. Um, who is that person? Jalen Noble. Whoa. Well, yeah. Hello, hello, hello. What up, Jalen? <laughs> What's up, guys? So Jalen is a full-time content creator based in Nashville. Yep. You uh, became very popular after you were on a season of Love Island. But actually, you gained a lot more popularity after when yeah. you went through you were kind of seen as like maybe a player a bad boy a bad boy in the yep. show and you've been through a real transformation as a man that yeah. you're going to be sharing with us and that's actually what got you a lot more of a following and 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 sort of a, a loyal base of people who really support and love your work i would agree that's spot so on you're yeah. the perfect um guest for us on, on man yeah that's and, awesome and to start start us off we always ask our guests a question to start them off okay right, so that you can kind of put your head in the right frame okay it's like therapy i get yeah Yeah, basically Uh yeah Yeah, Um, free therapy so the question (laughs) is uh, when's the last time that you didn't feel enough hmm i think it was that's a tough question i I think there's small glimpses throughout some days you know where i i feel low or i feel high and you know some days where i'm like okay i don't feel like enough and i'd say that probably comes in in waves maybe once a week where i wake up one morning i just don't have it I feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. But if we're talking about like the major idea of not being enough, I want to say that was kind of what started, you know, this track that I'm on of healing, of, you know, showing myself love and, you know, really being being kind to myself and through being kind to myself, I can be kind to others as well. I'd say that probably happened uh, started this year, if not late last year, I kind of really had a, an epiphany um, in therapy and sitting with my therapist and really understanding that like, I, I am doing enough. I am... I was hard on myself for like a week or two straight, hmm. trying to do this content creation, trying to juggle a lot of feelings and emotions that ultimately led me to think and be in this rut of, I am not enough. I am struggling in life. I am failing in life. And again, failure being subjective to how I view failure. But uh, I would say that's probably the last time I, I didn't feel like I was enough was about six to seven months ago before I really started taking the steps to you know change or correct that thought process or behavior uh, of a mindset. Mm. What were those actions for uh, people who are listening who are in that same rut? Yeah, I think awareness is a big one. I think being able to be honest with yourself and really kind of talk about these feelings and emotions. 
really helped change the narrative or, or way that I viewed myself. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of things that I'd hold on to. Mm-hmm. Things that, you know, from my childhood and being in childhood trauma and all that good stuff, but all these things that I'd carry with me from my childhood or um, expectation that the outside society would put on somebody like a man that I had to carry. Mm-hmm. And I thought I wasn't living up to it. I was, I'm 30 now. And you know, I thought to myself a year ago, I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm just in the starting of my corporate sales career, like just kind of hating this job going into a corporate office. It just, I just felt myself every day kind of, I don't know, like a robot kind of going through the motions and I think taking the steps to one, be open and honest with my therapist and just really uncover those things that I was still carrying with me, like an 800 pound gorilla. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. And it seems like your, um, I always say journey <laughs> for people who aren't watching. <laughs> I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> Buzzwords. You know, uh, yeah, like your path, right, to transformation mm-hmm. from being a man that society expected you to be, or or how you maybe got those accolades, right? Again, being like, would you would you have called yourself like a womanizer, or like, yeah? How would you describe sort of your your that life before? Yeah, I'd say I definitely viewed myself as. You know, I'll say this: I feel like as a man in the mindset that I had and among my friends and just among what societal standards or society was pushing out was the more women that you had lust after you, the more women that you could, you know, put yourself in front of and, and have, you know, be desirable for kind of define your status in this popularity contest at which is being a man. Like, Oh, I can go out and get any girl. I can do these things for the attention of women and for my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so that was something big that I think I had to kind of untrain myself because that doesn't define and neither kind of help project where my success lies or who I can be in the future. It was just kind of a shallow uh, way to validate myself or to give myself quick, short-term happiness that was mm-hmm. – or sadness that was disguised as happiness because at the end of the day, like, you know, you go home and you're texting, entertaining a bunch of people because they want you. But beyond that, what is there? I'm still going to sleep alone. I'm still – you know, waking up like wanting and craving love, like all these things that yeah. I deep down I could never admit to the world because, again, at that point, and from what I've learned, that was what yeah. some people would call weakness. That's right. For someone to be like, I just, I want love. I'm a lover boy deep <laughs> down. I want to give love to somebody. I want to start a family. I want to be passionate. I want to be a father. I want to be a girl dad. I want to be all these things. <laughs> it's just, you know. What was that modeled for you when you were growing up? It wasn't really. Um, I grew up in a split household. Uh, I had a, what some people would call a father who was very, very invested in his boys' uh, sports careers. I was a college football uh, player. I had aspirations to go to the NFL. So a lot of my investment, my dad's investment uh, towards me was through accolades, through sports accolades. And so there was never really the check-ins that we had um, that was like, hey, how you doing? You know, what's up, man? How are you doing emotionally? Like, what do you want to be when you get old? There was always, if you score a touchdown, I'll give you a video game mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, you know, that type of validation or just what I, what I thought was love. And, and my dad loves me dearly. He'll of course. to this day say that. But there was just ways that he... He didn't know how to he demonstrate know, to Yes, you. how to demonstrate. But I also grew up with sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the outside eye, the noble boys were the noble boys because we were the athletes. And again, I come from a family. From a family. My older sister went to Duke valedictorian. My younger sister, a year younger than me, went to Stanford, valedictorian. Mm-hmm. 
pre-med. She's an anesthesiologist now. My youngest brother, who um, is five years younger than me, went to Penn, Wharton. So like just a family full of smart kids. I was black sheep. But my validation and my, I guess, prioritization as one of the kids um, was because of my sports. Mm. And as a child, my mom would pick me up. And my mom is a lover, like deep down, just has always craved love. And when you get in the car after school, Alicia Keys are playing, mm-hmm. Fallen. I'll never forget that. Uh. And just driving and singing our hearts out. And I just saw love, heard it in her voice, heard how she talked about it, and just things that were instilled in me as a kid wow. that I just could see. Uh, and then as I grew up, you know, kind of being blind to that because I was given a lot of things as a kid because I was good at sports. Mm -hmm. So I think I saw how much love people, my siblings, and just people in this world need, but especially from a father to a daughter, I think that's one of the most sacred type of loves um, out there. And I know my sisters didn't get that uh, to the way they probably should have. My dad Mm -hmm. would admit that. Uh, I saw it. And I think for me, it kind of just motivates me. And I know a lot of my friends would say, oh, my dad wasn't a great dad to me. That motivates me to be a better dad. But my dad was a good dad to me, but my dad was a great dad to our whole family. But there were some shortcomings on how he treated my sisters and showed them love. Which in turn taught you how to treat. Women. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just, uh, there's so many things you can go down that topic of discussion on with women's place in society and how it's always been underappreciated, always been watered down. But for me, it's one of those things where I'm I'm ready to have a best friend. That's a little mama as well. I'll call her probably uh, those kind of things. And it's just you know I, I see it. I see my mom. I see my sisters and how I look at women and any person out there. It's just I, I got nothing but love for everybody. Mm. So I think that's kind of as I've gone through this healing journey, buzzwords. <laughs> um, I've really come to understand you know what makes me tick, and that's love, and that's mm. admiration for people. And I think that's kind of just pours into okay. I get to bring another generation of people in this world. I get to bring a my kids into this world and teach them the exact same, you know, ways I view the world. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they grasp it and spread love and it just multiplies. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's great about you, one of the many things sure. that are great yeah. about you, um, is that you, yeah, sort of model or or exist through this this kind of new framework of of masculinity that's that that's sort of remodeling and reinventing masculinity and, mm-hmm. and reimagining it. But it's not like you're being more feminine, right? Or, or that you're um, sort of watering down your masculinity right. in order to make it positive. It seems like you're leaning into your masculinity. I yeah. mean, you do cold plunges. You mm-hmm. talk a lot about physical fitness, mm-hmm. um, discipline. You have these videos where you're cleaning. And, and yeah. actually, it's, again, we have this view of, of cleaning as something that's sort of feminine sure. and, and trivial, but it's because a lot of women do it, but it's actually about self-discipline it's and as it's well. therapeutic and it's masculine. Can you it, talk about that? Yeah. I think this idea of, you know, my masculine energy and, you know, understanding it and still trying to understand it, but more so the balance of masculine and feminine energy. Like my toenails are purple right now. I get my toenails painted from time to time. I I was at an event the other day and there was a makeup artist and my girlfriend is a, a makeup influencer, uh, beauty influencers, the best. And we were sitting there and she was getting some of her makeup done. And the makeup artist looks at me and goes, do you want to try it? I was like, I've never worn makeup. I was like, sure, I don't care. Like, well, how does that define my sexuality? Right. It doesn't. For mm-hmm. me, it's a balancing act. Yeah. If I was only focused on my masculine energy, which I feel like a lot of my friends and people in this world are, it's crippling emotionally. It's damaging potentially mentally. And I think that's something that it's to understand that it's okay to clean your house for a full day because I find therapy out of it. But yeah. isn't that masculinity, right? Like, yeah. 
keeping your place clean yeah. and taking care of yourself, yeah. those really conventional sort sure. of masculine traits of of, of self discipline, yeah. right? Do you think that we need to talk about those things as as masculine virtues? No. No? Okay. I, I mean, I think everything applies. It's genderless. In my opinion, a lot of these things that we try to draw a line through in the sand and say, this is masculine, this is feminine, um, is bullshit. Okay. I think it's, it's fluid. I think yeah. there are a lot of things and traits that we can share within the energies between the two that I don't think needs a classification of yeah. this is masculine or this is feminine. I think it's just open. Let me add to it, though, because I think one distinction, at least that I make, sure. and I think many of us do, is yeah. masculine and feminine are not attributed to male or female. Right. Oh, we fair. do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think we have to unlearn this idea that masculine then means male. I'm still and unlearning. feminine means female. Yep. When we see them as just being all qualities of humanity, mm -hmm. then it's okay that I can tap into the feminine side yeah. of me. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm any less masculine. It's absolutely. just, just mm -hmm. different vitamins. I think I'm still unlearning that. We just have such married them to men and women. Yes. That we can't yeah. even have a discussion that something is yeah. masculine and something's feminine. And beyond that, a woman will do the same thing as as a man, but it will be viewed differently because it's because of the gender of the person who's doing it, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. to me, providing is a perfect example. So when a man goes out and works, mm -hmm. that's providing and mm -hmm. that's uh, ma you know a masculine virtue. When a woman provides by staying in the home, she's staying in the home, right? It's mm -hmm. it's viewed differently, but it's actually the same kind of action. But we we value it differently. Mm -hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? It right? Does. I actually think this is such such a fun space to be in because. Yeah. We get to again reinvent like cleaning. Like, yeah. is cleaning, you know, really something that is, I don't know, subservient or domestic? Or is that about self discipline and yeah. control and taking yeah. care of yourself and taking care of your family? Yeah. Is that providing? Well, it depends on what the, the purpose, what the motivation is to clean. Yeah. Right. So, cleaning is just an act. That's not feminine or masculine. Right, right. But if it's because I want to take care of someone, or mm -hmm. is it that I'm posturing? Mm. Is it because I want it to look like I have a lot of money? Mm. Mm -hmm. What's the reason? So the act is the act, right? But the yeah. tension behind it, I think, is what determines uh, what emotion it's coming from. Yeah. So you're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. So I'm interested in, like, in your journey. Yeah. Having the father that you had, which was wonderful and loved you, and as yeah. you had mentioned, but maybe um, didn't do some of the things that would have nurtured another side of you. Oh, yeah. Which I think the question you asked, which led to your response, was um, how you saw women or were you seen as a womanizer? I'm curious how you now walk through the world and why you walk through the world and how important it is, do you think, to demonstrate being a man as you are, yep. being masculine in the ways you embrace it. But how important are these qualities to show up and to demonstrate to other boys? Is this yeah. better for society? Absolutely. I think... Uh, that idea is, for me, is rooted in, you know, those questions you get sometimes like, oh, well, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? Like, if you met the younger version of yourself, like, what would you, my answer is usually, I would give him a big hug. I would tell him it's okay. I would show him compassion. I would show him empathy. I would show him this foundation of support that could be considered, like how you said about the cleaning thing, if, you know, if you're nurturing somebody, it's, it's feminine, how it's okay to sit there and express yourself, how it's okay to be in touch with your emotions and feelings, because at the end of the day, the only person who has to answer to themselves and with their feelings is, is you. And for me at that point in my life, and I actually just came out and said this on social media the other week, so I don't mind sharing it here, but there were a lot of things, uh, 19, 18, 19, 20-year-old Jalen um, was so desperate for, which I think from the childhood, which was this idea of 
that it's okay to be emotionally unaware, that it's okay to ask for help, that it's okay to need that type of nurturing. I um, had my battles with mental health when I was 20, 19 years old, where it led me down a dark path, which um, this is my second chance of life. What do you mean by that? uh, I successfully um, took my life. Successfully or unsuccessfully? I, I, I flatlined. Yeah. Okay. I was at military school. Um, my dad went to military school. I was trying to, again, follow in his footsteps, do that and lead that path of, I want to be just like my dad. I want to be masculine. I want to do these things because it's what my dad did and he's successful. So I have to do this. I didn't have a choice. And so I thought, so this whole compassion and to be able to spread to younger boys or to share this was the idea of me talking to a younger version of myself, this idea of, you know, kind of healing a, a younger version of myself that needed to hear these things because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who play sports, who are trying to make it to a professional football league, who are trying to impress their fathers, who are craving their attention in other areas and just accolades, that there's so many things that from the pressures that society puts on us as young boys to be that man of the house, to create this successful career that I was just, I, I was struggling and took a I decided to just call it quits. I, I knew I couldn't live with my dad's stand or not his standards, but I knew I couldn't be him, but he wasn't demanding that of me. I just thought because that's what I was training myself to do was to be him. And I don't need to be my father. I just need to be Jalen. And I think through this idea of this healing journey, mom is understanding who I am and feeling these traumas and being whole is that's my idea. My TikTok handle is always Jalen because I always have to be myself. And if I lose sight of that, then I'm not giving myself the life I deserve at this second chance I have. Mm-hmm. So were you feeling, and, and, and forgive me, I'm not going to ask you specifics about. Um, oh, I'm uh, open book. I, I don't mind sharing if we get into it. Yeah. But when you got to the point where you mm-hmm. felt like you mm-hmm. wanted to call it quits mm-hmm. and you actually, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you said successfully, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess that's a little. Oh, yeah. I guess it's a little great. Like I, I'm still here, obviously right, knocking right. on wood and breathing and. You weren't able to successfully permanently right yes do it do yes. so but you attempted to yes um was that rooted in that you didn't feel enough yeah because you weren't able to follow the footsteps of your father yeah i, I would say that was a big part of it sure was there other stuff going on because the reason why before yeah. you answer there's a lot of us that fall short in things yeah that don't think of calling it quits yeah what was it with you yeah that would then lead to calling it quits, not just being like, dad, look, I'm not going to be you or being upset yeah, for a year that was or a, whatever. That was a big part of it. Um, I was also, you know, dealing with a lot of emotional challenges with my love life, with, you know, being at a military school where I, that your freshman year at military schools, you can't leave. Like you have to stay there and just be in a gray room, essentially. Uh, I just got had gotten off a concussion from football. So there were a lot of variables mm. that I was trying to juggle. And I just, for a few years at that point, I was kind of that, that idea of I, I wasn't present in my own life and I felt like I wasn't the main character. I felt like I was just existing to fail. And that was probably the scariest feeling for myself. And I was like, I'm just letting everybody down around me because at this military school I was at, I was starting on a D1 football team. And I was had all this success that on paper seemed like enough, but at the end of every day, every night, I just would feel so heavy, but empty. And I'd sit there and say that this isn't worth it. I would rather not be here. And again, this is someone who 
used to take very drastic, uh, potentially drastic measures in a lot of ways that I handled responses emotionally, mentally. And this was the- You already had a history of of taking things hard. Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. I think there was uh, ways that I can, I didn't understand my emotions. I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to digest how I felt, think about it, talk about it, and then grow. I just would take things and take them way too hard. And I think the combination of all these things and just the, uh, the, the way that life was going, I was lost. I was alone. I was afraid. I was terrified of my future. I was like, I'm going to fail out of this school because grades were okay, but concussion kept me back. And they're talking about, oh, you have to restart the semester because it's the whole bureaucracy of politics of military school is very interesting. And I just felt like I was failing. I couldn't see it, but I thought I would see it in my dad's face and friend's face and other people's faces around me, which again, it was my misinterpretation because I didn't know how to really have the conversations about feelings, emotions, and be okay with the idea that I can speak about these things and say that I'm confused, I'm hurt. I don't know what I'm doing, which is showing my self-compassion, which we can then attribute to being a feminine energy, that in this content, in this healing journey that I'm on for myself, but for others is because the younger version of myself desperately needed that. Mm-hmm. Desperately needed that. So can I ask you, what do you think if you had a son mm-hmm. right now that was 10 years old? Sure. You said you got to this point, you were 19 or 20. Yeah. Um, the fact that you were failing at something, I mean, we all fail at something. Right, right, right. right, I mean, right. We're all going to fail and we're going to hit a rock and we're going right. to hit a wall and some of us get knocked down. Some of us get right back up and, sure. keep, and keep chipping away. Yeah. The ones that decide it's better to be checked out mm-hmm. to call it quits versus not I'm interested mm-hmm. what got someone there versus the person that gets knocked down and gets back up. So what would you do you think you you would do differently having your experience with your 10-year-old son to yep. 20 and and arm him with yeah. so that when he does fail, which mm-hmm. he will. Absolutely. that he never wants to check out. I think I would spend a lot of my time just helping him build himself up to be able to fail, to understand that it's okay to fail, to understand that through life and through this stage of life, you're curious. Well, I'm still curious today, but I think at that young of an age, I was so curious about life. I used to draw, I used to take pictures, I used to be such an artistic person, but I never pursued it because I thought my only options were football, sports. But for me and that my, my future 10-year-old son, I think it's just showing him the support to be curious. That he's able to explore life, that he's able to try new things, that he's able to fail. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to really be open and vulnerable. And we're going to talk about our feelings and emotions. You go to football, you don't like it? Well, let's talk about it. I don't think after one practice, you could be like, I hate it, I'm quitting. I I think there are ways to understand those feelings. But I think to that 10-year-old future son, uh, I think they just really need support to navigate through life and have that person to fall back on that if times get rough or they feel like they're failing, that they can hug dad, that they can have a conversation with dad, that they can really understand that it's okay. And I think at so many young ages, you see so many boys and myself particularly trying so hard to impress their father, trying so hard to be a young dad or like 10 year old, I need to, I'm a big boy. I got it all figured out. I'm, I'm, you know, crying for girls, those type of emotions and feelings that if I am with my 10 year old son, it's going to be about love. It's going to be about compassion, but we're going to try a lot of things and, and navigate our way through life. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be up to you because I think that's the beauty of human psychology and our mindsets and brains is 
we're able to be curious. Mm. We're able to want to learn more. We're able to want to be a sponge. But if you don't have the support system, the people in your life to kind of help support and let you be an individual, I think that's some of the important things that I want to instill in my son is mm -hmm. you are an individual. Mm. Whatever your name is, I don't know yet because I don't have my baby names picked out, but <laughs> <laughs> I am here to support your curiosity in life because right. you are your own individual person. You're not me. You're not your mother. Uh, and for anyone out there who is an adopted parent, you're not them either. You're yourself. And the ways you view the world and the way that you see the world is completely up for your own digestion. Mm. I think the importance of, for me, childhood is curiosity mm -hmm. and allowing that to exist. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing yeah. that, by the way. Yeah. 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 I thought you experienced that. I, I, uh, I used to be so afraid of it because I used to look back at myself 10 years ago and be like, oh, he quit. They, that he's a quitter, but I would say it in a way that I would still think and feel, feel it today like I'm still a quitter. But I think that's something that I have to, I had to realize through this healing journey was the actions I took 10 years ago, damn sure don't define me today. That is an older version of myself that can, I can heal from and have healed from that will never define me. If I am scared to s say that I did that 10 years ago and someone to look at me and go, fuck him. <sighs> Yeah, uh, that, that, that's not who I am. Like, I'm not worried about the thoughts that someone has from a 10 other than my, my own. Mm -hmm. and if I can sit there and look back at, you know, 10 years ago and say, oh, he just needed a hug. He just needed help. Yeah. But he didn't get it because I, it, it starts with me, but I didn't ask for it. Yeah. But, the, you know, there's a reason why you didn't ask for it. Right. Yeah. And there's a. Exactly. Um, yep. That was something that allowed you to mm -hmm. survive as a child yeah and then you took it into your life as an adult yeah. and that's what you know contributed to to this breaking point and you know there's if anyone's out there listening like suicidal ideation is something that a lot of people are struggling with i remember for me it started even when i was like a kid like the yeah. first time I was like 14 yeah um and it's very scary but it's not a failure yeah. it's not that you are giving up it's actually that you're giving in, mm -hmm. like that pain can be so tiring and intolerable, right? That, that that is the only solution that you see at that point. But obviously you're here. I'm so glad that you stayed. Thank you for <laughs> staying. Yeah. And anyone who's listening, thank you for staying. There are so many people around you who, if you, if you do decide to do this, will think about you and talk about you every single day yeah. for the rest of their lives. And I, they want you to stay too. I, I think uh, one of the things that I, I said in, you know, in my previous post, and I, I think I just came out to the world this like two weeks ago saying this. So like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fresh on allowing um, criticism, if I can call it that, or outside voices to know who Jalen was and who I am. But I think there's so much power in, for me, in healing that, but also sharing it because I think you're right. I think in what I'm trying to do in this healing journey is one, talk to a younger version of myself, but also give people the foundation and support that they might not have that like hey it's okay it yeah. really is yeah. you are going to be okay yeah mm -hmm. and i think so many people and even myself i i couldn't understand that there were so many days where i'd wake up in like a month-long stretch where i ultimately made that choice where i would go to sleep going it's i'm never, never going to figure it out yeah this is this sucks it was a weight a on my chest in my in my thoughts i couldn't sleep it was just i was so defeated mm. and knowing where i'm at today I would never have imagined this, but yeah. I had a purpose. 
And I think in my sharing of this healing journey, it's not only for myself, like I said, for other people who, to your point, are out there who may be feeling that. It's yes. So many are. Yes. So many are. It's, I feel like we, what I really, really believe, I'm a parent of four. Now. Oh, nice. Congratulations. I'm one that um, has some similar experiences as yours, never to a point where yeah. I ever thought about checking out. Sure. That was, that's not even a, um, it's not even a road for right. me. Uh, there's many paths to get somewhere, but that one is like, doesn't even, I don't know that path. Yeah. But I've experienced with my mother who has struggled uh, or struggles with bipolar and I've experienced it firsthand what sure. that looks like and takes and the effects of that. So I, I know it up close, but not personally. But what I do think for boys, mm -hmm. and, and I think what you're speaking of a lot is that you didn't feel enough, mm -hmm. didn't have an opportunity to talk about this stuff. What your self-worth was, I think needs to be reframed for our young boys. I think a man's worth mm -hmm. is honestly, the truth is, how are you of service to others? Yes. Period. Yeah. Now, how you are of service to others, it might be in sports because you assist other people to make a touchdown. Yeah. Um, it's not about you getting the accolade. It's right. about to be a part of a team and to assist others. Um, it might be so that you're in a marriage and that you help assist that relationship. Um, it might be that you work and that you help your coworkers, whatever mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. that always, so my kids, everything they do, I'm always like, so do this and get better at it. Right. So that you can help others. So you yeah. can assist others. So you can be of service because no matter what the failure is, can, would never be about achieving a particular goal. Right. The, the failure would be, I'm never ass assisting another person. Sure. I'm not of service to others. And that is something, let's say when you got to be 1920, when you weren't able to follow in your father's footsteps in the way that you thought you might or mm -hmm. whatever else there been. But had your value been, how do I immediately help humanity progress? Right. I'm feeling struggles here. I'm going to go talk to some people yeah. about their struggles, whatever it may be. Sure. I think if that's our worth as men, that how do we provide opportunities for growth to advance civilization? then that worth can always be drawn on versus not achieving a goal. It's really funny you say that because when I <clears throat> took these actions, the first place the military school center, because part of the government, was a rehab facility. And I went for, I think, 10 days. And it was in New York. And I was surrounded by 9-11 firefighters, previous addicts or current addicts of anything. Uh, and then just some of the some some people who were much older in much older stages in life than I was that were really struggling and putting myself and immersing myself in a group of people who were struggling. Uh, I will never forget this. It was this older gentleman, and I, I I will always kick myself for not really getting his name or number down. But um, I remember when we had like everyone's kind of in their own little worlds over there, right? Like you kind of just head down, like I'm ashamed to be here, kind of thing, and. You're there, and there was this older gentleman who was a jazz player. He was around 60 years old. He had a slick back ponytail. It was a short ponytail, um, wore a black T-shirt, black skinny jeans, probably like 5'10", 220, right? He was um, – looked like he was in good health. And he was – everyone with the activities we did every day, like we slowly started to get closer and be able to talk, communicate to each other. This guy was on his own, just in his own world, you know, really defeated. And to that helping others piece, I've always felt that my whole life. But in that setting, that's my that's that's what I felt. And after this experience of me leaving and going back home, he wrote me a letter and stuck it in my bag before I left. I didn't really get to say goodbye to the guy, and it's always going to break my heart that I couldn't. But I read it, and he in the letter um, basically said that I saved his life, 
because he has never felt compassion from anybody else. He's struggling. And one of the reasons he's in this place is because his family has just disowned him. His kids don't. He's struggling in life outside of it. And he gets you know, dismissed everywhere he goes, struggling jazz musician, all these things. And I think that was something that really spoke to me to your point of how can you help other people? And that feeling right there made me never look back and say, I'm taking that road ever again. I'm going to decide to call it quits. And I felt that. And he called me like a week later and was like, hey, Jalen, how's it going? I was like, man, what's up? And we just talked for 30 minutes. And he said, you've motivated me more than ever to get out of here and go make something, Hmm. go try. And I want to say thank you. And that feeling of helping other people define a mindset of, I'm never going down that path again, like I said. But instead, it might be a long journey, but I'm here to stay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's to your, I think our shared definition of, you know, to me, what can define my life is how can I help other people? Sure. And the point of this whole podcast, the point of this, my whole place with uh, social media, with just sharing my story and giving people a voice, Mm -hmm. that's what I, I think, you know, a major purpose of mine in life is, is yeah. to do just that. And you never know who you're helping and who you're touching. If you hadn't had that, if he, you know, hadn't put that letter in your backpack, you would That's have right. never known. My motto in life is you never know the light you can be in someone's darkness, even mm-hmm. your own. Yeah. And I think about that every day I wake up. I mean, and in turn, you end up helping yourself yeah. by helping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, focusing on I see somebody, reach. they get eye contact, they get a smile, walking mm-hmm. past somebody, they get a hello, they get just recognition. And, nice. and you didn't do anything, right? I think it's important when, you know, people... Um, And honestly, particularly men who have suicidal ideation, it often is tied to feeling like a burden, a burden Mm. to their families if they're not providing, a burden to their families because they're, you know, have addictions or whatever it is, right? right? And you didn't do anything for him. You just were. Yeah. Right. Just being yeah. is uh, serving <laughs> others. Right. That you don't have to. Yeah. It doesn't have to come with a with a job or with a particular accomplishment or, or you know, uh, like this big thing that you do. Just right. just being right is is right. in itself worth living for. Absolutely. Just yeah. being. That's good. Yeah. I'm like curious that. how I'm guessing you've had a conversation with your dad. Yeah. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you haven't told him? No, I think. um there were a lot of conversations years later that I had to have. I think for the first few years, I was <clears throat> battling the the awkward relationship that my father and I had because a lot of our relationship or conversation was rooted in how was football practice? How was this? How was that? And I think when I went this way, my dad's first reaction, and I'll never forget this, was I, when I woke up in the hospital, you know, kind of in and out. And I woke up and the first person I saw was my mom. And it was this crazy realization or just presence was she was looking over me because I was out for hours looking over me and around her head was like the hospital light and it made this like halo around her and that's my angel on earth I always said that to the dad that my mother is and when we got back up to the room um, my dad dropped everything he was doing at that moment to run to his son I'll never forget that because I know my dad loves me I know he really does but I think years later I look back at that and go okay well I used to hold it against him for so long as a kid or 19, 20, 21 that my dad only loved me because of football. Mm -hmm. But that was never the case. I just had to tell him. I had to talk to him, say I was hurting, say I needed help. My dad loves me so big. And it took years for me to kind of get out of of my own way and over this hump that this imaginary wall that I put there was my own misunderstanding of his view towards me and myself. But years later, we had some tough conversations. I think through therapy and really getting to the bottom of it, I'd call him sometimes, like, hey, I need to talk. He'd drop everything. Okay. Let's talk, son. 
and I'd cry. And they were the most beautiful tears I've ever felt in my life because it was a release. It was pent up emotion that I could let go of through like human expression. And I'm a big believer in the human anatomy of every human needs to experience emotions in some way, shape or form. Not often, but in mm. a decent amount of time. Hmm. People need to cry. I think for me and talking to my dad at that point, years later, it was just that understanding of being able to express to him what I felt. You know, my dad will you know, say he, he regrets not having those tough conversations with me when I was struggling, trying to jump through hoops to mm-hmm. follow in his footsteps. Because mm-hmm. I didn't share that. So how could he have known? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he always kind of kicks himself and says, I wish I would have really took the time to, you know, ask you tougher questions because I, I wouldn't have been able to never guess. You seem so happy on the outside. I say that's how, again, I, I think that's how most people mm-hmm. come across who end up yeah. taking those actions. You can never tell yeah. until you ask about the conversation. What were the questions you wish he had asked you? Huh. What do you want to do? Mm. How can I be your support system if your choices in life aren't this? What do you need from me? And if he would ask me that at that age, I would have lost it. I think I would have broke down wherever I took that call if, if or conversation. Uh, but I struggled for a few years after that, really kind of trying to validate myself as a man in this world, still, tr- still trying to battle this idea that I'm a man in, a 21-year-old, 22-year-old man in this world that has come off of an unsuccessful suicide attempt, who is trying to figure himself out going to community college compared to all of my siblings who were top 25 schools in the country. Just like these things that I was really battling with myself every single day still that, again, this idea of a man, mm. am I enough? Or am I man enough? That was a theme of the first five years of my 20s, just right. really trying to figure that out. And I never really had those tough conversations with myself. If I asked myself something that was related to, you know, feminine energy, my first round was like, oh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I would think at that time, oh, I'm not feminine. I'm not gay. That was using my first reaction as a insecure, unaware male that, again, a lot in life with my sexuality, with emotions, it was usually like that, that wall I'd put up, that instant, I'm not going down that road. I'll go get with other, other women and fill this well with this cup, trying to fill it. I was going anywhere. Mm. I was just going to dry up by the time I needed more and I'd still be empty. That's what I felt every single day. Mm. But again, I was, I've been fortunate that, um, I have a nice smile, I guess. Right. And that's what I kind of used to mask a lot of struggles I had. Yeah. And validation again, am I man enough in what on paper a man would be defined as man enough is how many women have you slept with? How many women want your attention? It was like this idea of being a womanizer to our points earlier that I used to put a Band-Aid over a cut that needed surgery. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was never going to work. Yeah. So I think that would like to, I guess, to your question about like, you know, the conversation with my dad was, or what I wish he would ask me was some of those things. Yeah. Just really understand. Which are like, simple questions when you think about they're it. They're so right? simple. What yeah. do you want? Yeah. It's it's you know for parents who are listening or even again friends yeah. helping someone um, not escape this route, right. but right. but you know save themselves. Um, it's it's not. It's just yeah about checking in. Which is why I think it's so important that we. I like hearing you talk about you and your father. Yeah. 
Uh, I have an amazing, amazing father yeah. who's shown me love and has shown up in my life my entire life. Right. I never saw him bleed. Mm-hmm. You know, me either. Never is, saw my dad bleed. If you mind asking, is your uh, father black? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, he was, he's kind and loving and so feminine uh, uh, in terms of how he um, operates and how he mm-hmm. treats people and what's purposeful. But but I never saw like his, his stumbles. Mm-hmm. So for boys... Mm-hmm. To see their own father mm-hmm. stumble and then talk to them about it so that mm-hmm. then we feel the freedom to say, I'm stumbling or what they know then that that's what we need. Otherwise we stumble, we feel short and we're like, yeah. oh shit, I'm not as good as my dad. Yep. My dad never stumbled. He never bled ever. Stoic. Yeah. Um, mm. He, you know, I don't mean he was not vulnerable. Oh, sure. But I mean like, you know. Do you ever I, see I, your dad cry? Uh, a few times in my, only a few times. I think when my grandpa died. That was uh, an, a, a time where I saw my father cry. And then the movie John Q, Denzel Washington. <laughs> right. Greatest movie ever. I cry on the movie. Um, I saw my father cry then too. Uh, but I think to that stumble piece, and I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine because I used to hold it against my dad. I said, why couldn't he be more open? Like, why couldn't he? But empathy kicks in when my curiosity allows me to kind of really help understand black men's role in this world 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when my dad was growing up in South Georgia, a place right. where sundown mm-hmm. towns. Yeah. My grandma, you know, she would call them to see where they are, not because she was just like, what time are you get home? Because she always had to check to make sure that there was something going on, right? I mean, that was a, a time. And uh, my dad grew up in the same town that Martin Luther King was jailed in, Albany, Georgia. Uh, and I look back at it and go, okay, well, this is someone who as a boy to this whole conversation was taught that black men couldn't show emotion. Right. Black men couldn't show chinks in their armor. Black men had to be stoic to even have a, an opportunity in this life. Yeah. And, and to survive and to think how that can be taught throughout the course of his life until he had kids really taught me and helped me understand that it's not my dad's fault. Mm. I think mm. a lot of things and I call them opportunities, not problems, opportunities in life are always pointed back to the steps that I take to initiate. And I think to this whole conversation of questions I wish my dad would ask me or to this way I viewed my father. Like it just, he would have never, never known the struggles I was going through because he never, I, I came across as this happy kid, this yeah. kid full of life, but I was hurting. And again, his idea of how he was raised was to be stoic. Right. And I think that's when you take all this into consideration, the variables to the relationship between myself and him emotionally, I completely understand. And I give him all the empathy in the world that it was never his fault. Right. He was an mm-hmm. incredible father to me my whole life mm. and still is and is a better father today. But it was up to me at that point and when I needed to ask for help and have these conversations. Again, I was, I was a kid, so it was difficult to be able to have that. But to learn that at a young age through the way that I think we're talking about at this table is part of the change that society needs, a part of the change that boys in this world or just kids in this world need to understand that, you know, instead of all the things on, you know, the quick short burst on TikTok or on Instagram of all this power, this idea of success of this is what validates you as a person. It's, hey, it's okay to, yeah, I struggled. Mm-hmm. I don't have a great day every day, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I can talk about it. And that makes me more powerful to be able to be aware of my feelings and emotions. Yeah. So I think that's a big like reason of this push of mine mm-hmm. um, recently in my life is. Yeah. I'm going to have kids and I can't wait to be a dad like you. (laughs) I hope to be, you know, uh, a good father. But I think that's also part of trial and tribulations with just existing. Yeah. Yeah.
I'm curious how this has impacted your current relationship with your with your girlfriend. Yeah. Is she, you know, worried about you or no. how do you discuss these? Um, yeah. How long have you guys been together? Uh, six months. Okay. Yeah. So still relatively um, new, but. She uh, knows about your history yes. and past. And yes. Yeah. I told her, I think on our third date. Um, so she was living in Philadelphia or right outside of Philadelphia in South Jersey. I was in Nashville and this life as a content creator has afforded me some flexibility to kind of on a whim, go travel somewhere for a weekend to pursue people. Um, <sighs> And not that I've acted on it, but this opportunity I found was kind of at the height of my understanding, okay, I'm, I'm healing. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about my love life because that's a whole different mm. conversation. But I think the third time I saw, first time I saw her, I knew that this person could be everything for me and more. Um, I don't need anybody at this point in my life, but it's an addition. I feel like I've been working on myself for a long time and I feel like at this point I'm, my cup is full. I'm able mm. to meet people truly and really pursue love because I've given myself enough love. And when I met her the first time, I said, yeah, I know. Uh, if I can not get in my own way <laughs> and be always Jalen, this is my person. And within the second or third, you know, uh, time we hung out, you know, we were getting into deep conversations about our upbringing, split households, um, our fathers, our relationships, all of it. And it's felt this huge, compelling rush over me to say, hey, look, and look on the night, kind of sounded like, I need to tell you something. Because we're moving really fast in a beautiful way. And I want to be honest and open with you and just help you understand where I come from, because I talk about my mental health, I talk about the therapy I go through, I talk about my emotions, I really communicate and put that first. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to know me, this is something that I went through when I was 20. And this is what impacted our, to the conversation point, my relationship with my father. Yeah. Um, and she was so understanding and so loving and caring and compassionate. Uh, and I always feared that if I told people that, they'd look at me sideways and be like, oh, I don't, that guy's going to off this wagon 10 years later still. Mm. But there was none of that. It was just true love for another human. Right. And that's what I felt. So yes, I've had these conversations with her and it's never once impacted positively or negatively mm -hmm. the projection or pace we've been moving at. Yeah. And yeah. What, what's the last time, the last thing that you guys fought about? What, what do you guys, what are you working through as a man in your relationship with her? I think my pride, my ego, I think could sometimes um, be a little convoluted or confusing for me. Where How does it show up? Yeah. Um, through lack of communication. I think no response is a response. I've always, I've mm -hmm. really come to understand that. But I think when some things come up and I, one, don't understand them, I don't, unli don't like it, sometimes I'll be in my own world thinking about things. And again, I think previously, these are what I would call self-sabotaging habits, where right. I'm thinking of all these different ideas or these different impossible things that actually aren't happening. For, for, that explain her behavior yes. and you're, you're like, like, what's an example? She wouldn't re respond and then you start saying, oh, she doesn't really. I think there were some times like in the beginning of the relationship where I was insecure um, about like, you know, we were together for, you know, a few days and like it was great, but, you know, maybe she didn't respond to me for a whole day. And I was like, oh, did I do something? Like I'd be a little yeah. more harsh on myself. And I'd like, okay, well now my ego and pride is a little bruised because, well, what did I do? Like, uh -huh. okay, is, am, I, am, am I the problem or is she looking elsewhere like is she not really as in so just like all these okay. questions that i would start to ask myself that again were not true at all sure. that i think really uh, 
helped me understand that the death of my ego was a major reason that I have become to find love with this person right. the way we have. And so when we get in, you know, we don't have arguments. We have conversations with solutions and an end goal. I don't think that if she has a problem, if I have a problem, they're pretty minor. I'd say across the board, but again, communication mm-hmm. is very important to me. Is this DeWine? Yeah. You're, you're, oh, yes. You're going to spend your life on this girl? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. She know that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was I there guess. a moment or was it like a bill so built? It was, like, a, was there like a click? I think it was a little bit of both. I think the buildup was one of the most beautiful things. Um, but, you know, like when you look at somebody and it's like, that's that's my person. Yeah. I think I would call her my soulmate, but. I don't think you meet a soulmate off the first day. I think this no. buildup is where you earn a soulmate. Yeah, you, mm. you, yeah, you yes. build, you build yes. one. And I, now I look at her and there's some points where it just click with me. And I sit there and look in her eyes and go, my God, I love this person. I mean, I'm beaming talking so about it. let me it, ask but. you a question. <laughs> um, so she knows you about your history. Yep. We're attracted to women. Women are attracted to you. You've, you've, you've yeah. had your experience where that f- uh, was one of the things that fulfilled you. Yeah. So you have to work for the rest of your life mm-hmm. to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, to show up, to mm-hmm. not be distracted, because mm-hmm. there will be a time, oh, yeah. right, that she won't fulfill you in every single way. Sure, because she's what... not she's not designed to do no. that. Oh yeah. Um, and then where do we go? Sure, I have a history of this. Okay, okay, but I have a history of never being faithful okay. ever in my life. <laughs> Maybe there was one time, like my first wife, mm-hmm. I was married three times. First mm-hmm. wife, I was, but I was eighteen, and you third know, times a charm. Three, yeah. <laughs> um, but all the relationships in between, including my second marriage, where I blew it up because of being unfaithful sure. and hurt. Um, Big fires everywhere um, and had to rebuild my life. And when I have a similar story, when my wife now, we're celebrating 10 years. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, next month. Yeah. Uh, thank you. My, within a week, I mean, it was really like our first time really talking. Yeah. I laid it out to her. Oh, yeah. You know, like, all right, here's my history. Here's uh-huh. my history. I blew up my second marriage because being unfaithful. I mm-hmm. did this, 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 and this, and this. Um, I was molested for 10 years of my life, so I've got a lot of trauma. Sure. Um, Blah, blah, blah. All the stuff. Here I am. Yeah. You want to go on a date? Because I. I <laughs> That's kind of what my thought was. I, I yeah, want to yeah. just tell you straight up who yeah. I am. Also, part of that is I want to be straight up, but also I need something to be accountable to mm-hmm. so that I'm working at it all the time. That I don't take it for granted. Because when you have a history and you've tasted something before, mm-hmm. um, you don't just forget that. Sure. It's like, you know, being a cigarette smoker for 20 years. You quit. Like, you always smell that. You'd yeah. be like, oh, it's a moment away. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm just. Offering you this, which yeah, you probably yeah. know. Yeah. But if this is the one you want, yep. and this is the one that it is, uh, don't get complacent. Oh, no. That means you got to work every day. All uh, these y- things you're putting on TikTok and all yep. the wonderful things you're doing, and I'm sure you're doing it behind the scenes yeah. too and not just in public, but that's got to be a daily diligence. A- absolutely. Weekly diligence. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point and probably a fault of mine in previous relationships where you start dating somebody and you're in this dating phase, and then you start dating them and it kind of falls off a little bit, it kind of dwindles out the dating. In this relationship with now, it's I date her every day. <laughs> I, I date her every single day. Every time we talk, I'm dating her. I love her and she knows this and I know that we're going to have a, a long life together. But I'm dating this person every day because I feel like in previous relationships where I would then see shiny objects outside of the relationship I was in because I stopped giving the person of that, in the relationship the what they deserved of being pursued. Being I don't need to go mm. chase you every day, mm-hmm. but I'm going to date you every day. Well, yeah, what does that look like? What does that mean? I have a flower on my hoodie because I'm known as Flower Boy. Um, I send her flowers all the time. She's in, goes to London, was traveling from Italy to Nashville to Hawaii to London and just burnt out. And I found out what hotel she was staying at. 
I sent her flowers to her room. So when mm-hmm. she walked in on her last little leg, there were flowers waiting there with a nice letter, note, all these little things that can make the smallest difference in her day and her, you know, morning messages every single day. I wake up butt crack of dawn every day. She sleeps in a little longer than I do. And I'm going to be the first person to say something. I'm going to send her a voice note with, you know, what I got going on that day. I'm thinking about her, just everything. Because I need to set an intention for the day that you're going to get my love from the second I wake up. Wow. Yeah. Second I go to bed, we might have a disagreement maybe one point in that day. But by the end of that night, I'm going to always choose you. And you're going to know that. Mm. And every morning I wake up, I'm going to always choose you. And that is the consistency and the dating ideology that I have of I have to date this person every day. Because mm. the second I stop dating this person... That's when distractions come in. That's when, okay, what do I do with this time that I used to have that I would give to this person? Now it's like, okay, well, I'm scrolling like, oh, I can see a shiny object. Let me go like on a, in a rabbit hole and be tempted elsewhere outside yeah. of this relationship. And I think this is the, yeah, this is the first relationship where I have not felt that once. Good. Yeah, yeah I feel like relationships are like, we, we, we have this idea that when you get married or when you're in a long term, you, you feel like you own it. Yeah. Like this relationship mm-hmm. is mine. Yeah. So you don't got to take care of it in the same way. Mm. But if you don't own your house and you are renting it month to month and you want to stay there for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah. and there's a landlord that you're accountable to, you're going to treat them. You make sure it's clean. Yep. Uh-huh. You make sure when they come and do inspections every month, it looks uh-huh. great. Yep. But as soon as you think, oh, I own it now, you don't got to like upkeep it the same. So I try to remind remind myself of that with my wife. Like I'm renting the relationship yeah. mm-hmm. w- w- with the intention of living here for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. Yeah. So that I show up and treat it as such versus thinking that's mine. I'll just get to it when yeah. I get to it. I think love is the most beautiful thing in this world. Love for self, love for others. And I think that I've had this goal as a kid since, you know, I was driving around with my mom, listening to Alicia Keys and just hearing this love and hearing everything I need to, to, you know, really understand what I want to be when I'm older with a family, with a wife, with Mm -hmm. kids. And when I look in my partner's eyes, I see that. I see my future. Mm -hmm. I'll share this because it it comes full circle in this whole, you know, 10 years ago, the, the actions I decided to take. When I woke up and I was in my hospital room, I remember I had a vivid dream from the time I came from the the ER to up to my room to kind of detox that I walked out of my house and it was like a a house in like a neighborhood and there was a car in the driveway. It was like the front door. You kind of walk around like this and there's a driver right here. And I'm like walking out the door to like go greet somebody. And around the side of that car comes the most beautiful little girl in the world. Biggest Afro curly hair there ever was. And she's yelling daddy and runs right into my arms. And I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. And whenever I've been on job interviews and I was like, what fuels you? I said, I tell them that. So my future daughter that I don't have yet, but I will. Wow. So, and then when I met this person, my partner now, I see that little girl. When I look in her eyes, when I'm with her, when I see where I want to take this, I see that vision or that yearning I had for my purpose or of love and you know what life is now that I'm here, mm-hmm. I see that in her eyes. And that is literally all the motivation I ever need yeah. to give this person love that I think people deserve to have their heart warmed every day and just n- supported and nurtured to my feminine side that that little girl is alive and well. And I can see that. I can feel it. I, when I hug her, I feel all of it. Mm. Yeah. Damn, that's so powerful. Yeah. It's like a you know romanticizing your your, your future. Yeah. Right. Um, often we romanticize the past, or we're sure. right, and that's again where a lot of depression and 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 that right. kind of dark thinking can yeah. come to. Right. But using your 
it, those are just thoughts. Yeah. And you can change the thought. Yeah. And why not, you know, instead of romanticizing the past, romanticize the future that Absolutely. you, you want to build. Um, yeah. So long as you don't get stuck in that, because if it doesn't turn out that way, yes. then you're not depressed that it didn't turn yes. out how you romanticize. 100%. It. So it's just like be detached. Yeah. While having yeah. goals. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. So do you think cheating means something different to men, to men and women? Like, I feel like every freaking quarter, there's uh, the most amazing, beautiful, you know, fantastic, extraordinary, smart uh, actress or a female public figure that gets like cheated on. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as women, we go, what? Like, so even if we are the perfect, right, they still, but, but then I, then I think, does cheating mean the same thing to men than it, than it does to women? And are women assigning what it means to them when men do it? That's a a great question. I think it just depends on how the man is structured to view their own relationship. Mm -hmm. If a man looks at the relationship as ownership, which I think a lot of men in relationships feel that they have the right to say that, or feel that they have ownership in the relationship, I think it's a lot easier for them to then cheat and to not feel as much remorse for it. I think in this specific um, scenario, it really does depend. What does ownership look like? What does that mean? I can go out, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, but you have to tell me everything you're doing. Like kind of just the the scale is unequal. That's the one I'm looking for. Unequal. Uh um, Power dynamic. Yeah. Unequal respect for each other. That's that's interesting. If, If the woman is just living her life or the other partner, um, just the other person is living their life and doing everything they can to be faithful. But there are some things that may make this other feel, person feel insecure. Like that person may think they have ownership over that person because what? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing that I've, uh, a theme that I've seen between men and women um, or just a, I would say insecure man. Uh, but that dynamic, I think that's where cheating or infidelity looks different or feels different because that's just a, a terrible way to look at relationships. If I own something, I misuse it. If I own something, I may not value it as much. Right. But if I rent it. Ah, I, 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 can I answer that question also? Yeah, please do. Um, I do think we process it differently. Yeah. Um, as one who has been unfaithful, uh-huh. when I was married to my son's mom, um, I fucking love her and adore her. She's one of the best people to ever be mm-hmm. on the planet. I still love her door. She's yeah, still one of my yeah. best friends. She's very close. Yeah. Um, my um, unfaithfulness was not due to not loving her. Right. It was about me, yeah. all my stuff, all my baggage and damage mm-hmm. and all this stuff and, and, and choices. And as you spoke to about value and like, you know, um, conquering and things mm-hmm. of that nature. I think men in general are raised with the idea about consumption, about um, the more people that see you and like you and see you as powerful, the more valuable you are. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying women don't experience this as much, but men are like the pressure of, of at least in our mind, being the one that you can rely on to take care of you. And to a lot of that is misinformed um, being desired. When my son lies to me, there are some parents that take it personally. How could you lie to me? Mm-hmm. It's never about me. He's trying to figure out, he's trying, he's scared, he's this, who doesn't know what the consequences are, whatever it is. Is it because my son doesn't love me that he's lying to me? Of course it's not. Mm. So it's really important to remember, like, this is not personal when they're going through this stuff and then they lie and they hide and they cheat and they steal this and that. It's not about me, even though I'm the one that's they're supposed to be accountable to and honor. I don't take it personally. Mm. If my wife cheats on me, of course it hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course I feel like because you made a commitment not to, 
But the fact that you did doesn't necessarily mean that you don't love me, mm-hmm. especially for a guy. Um, I mean, we know statistically, guys, the amount that we watch porn compared to women is is drastically different. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we can just be stimulated right. by sex and have an act. You see men go to massage parlors and do all these kind of things way at a higher yeah. clip yeah. than what women do. Sure. So just sex already, we have a, a relationship with it. That's right. just like. Different. So, of course, you can love someone you're with and have sex with someone over here. It's terrible and it's wrong and it's absolutely going to be just destroy your life. Yeah. And it's destructive to commitment and all that. So I'm not condoning this in any way. But you can have a relationship that's you're unattached to that seems to give you power, make you feel desired or makes you roar. Um, through all the men I've talked to in my life, and yet you can still mm-hmm. love the. It's a weird um, dynamic yep. that experiences in a woman who takes it personally. I understand, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, I wish I could say like it's not about you. Could be the most beautiful, perfect, wonderful, brilliant woman yeah. in the world, Liz. Yeah, and a man that cheats on you does not mean that you're not wonderful, brilliant, and pu- perfect and brilliant and all that. Right, it means it's he's about got something him. else. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's like this funny. Um, like posts that I see on, you know, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. And it's like between, it's like a, a, usually a man um, or a guy saying this and it's like, you know, get out of a relationship, man, you know, goes and has sex with 10, 15 women. And then it's like, they're, the the video is like them talking to their ex and they're like, you know, proud bird chest. They're like, oh yeah, you know, I had sex with a bunch of people. And the, and the girl's like, I went on a date. And it just shows like the man like crumbling and like crying and just a puddle on the floor. Oh, because she, when she cheated. Because versus, she went on a date. Oh, versus, she went, right. Yeah, like it's just this weird, I right. think, idea that I think men and women um, or our partners can view cheating very differently. But that's that's after a relationship. That's after they've broken up. But even within one, like I, I do think we see it differently. I have this weird idea of like the day we live in now, to your point. All the shiny objects that we see, uh, that someone can see uh, as a man, woman on the internet, because you scroll on TikTok, sure. you'll see, you know, after scrolling for like an hour, you'll see a few thirst traps. You'll see a few like, you know, women that could potentially catch your eye if you're not um, strong-minded enough to not dive into it. And the algorithms play into it. And the, like, if, if you, you stop seen for, a difference if you stop between like, a guy and a woman's yeah, TikTok algorithm? Yep. If I you, mean, if you stop for half a second, it's going to automatically, like it tracks all that. Yeah. So it can just continuously feed your pages. For me, my idea of dating in today's society is... A lot of people are dating the internet. Mm. A lot of people are in a relationship with the internet because what do you get in a relationship? Validation, praise, um, sexual responses, like this dopamine. idea of dopamine. <laughs> if I am a man or woman or a, a person, a human, that is not in a relationship with another singular person, I can post a selfie and get a lot of likes on it and feel that dopamine rush of, okay, there's mm-hmm. my praise I needed. A lot of the same attributes that some people get in a relationship, they feel it from the internet and their presence on it. So a lot of people, and, and it's a consideration that I have to, you know, I had to, and people have to take in today's world is, is that person ready for a real relationship? Is mm-hmm. that person dating anybody or are they dating the internet? Just different things of how the psychology of people exist in today's world with social media being a huge part of our lives that a lot of people, and I was guilty of this, like this whole bad boy thing with Love Island and, you know, the growth I've had, like I've always had the access, like a lot of people in this world, to post a selfie, to post a shirtless pic and get a lot of love and a lot of messages and like pursue quick little type of like instant gratification relationships where it's like, hey, we'll text for a whole night and be enthralled with each other and and get into like this exchange of quick lo- like love or lust and then I'm over it. Okay, quick, mm-hmm. I'm done. Next yeah. person, next shiny object. A lot of people are okay with that. 
at this point in their well, life. Not just more, uh, not just okay, but that's a much easier relationship oh. to be in because I'm controlling you how to, you view right. me. You don't I'm, have to it's a to curated. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a you know I'm you an anime character. As you want. Yes, yes, and I can present whatever qualities I Cause, cause want. The ideal self that I you know uh, want. being selfish should never exist and be in the same sentence as love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when you think of these, to your point, yeah. it's a much easier way to, at the end of the night, not to respond to anybody, not have to be responsible to anybody but yourself. Yeah. In some ways, that could lead to a like thought process of this is selfish and, it's, mm -hmm. and people are okay with that. Mm -hmm. That's fine if you want to be selfish, but you, I don't believe that you can truly experience love between two people from a, for a long-term perspective with selfishness being part of that equation. Yeah, and no growth. And no no growth. growth. That's why you got to work at it yeah. all the time. I yeah. mean, being now married 10 years and the relationships that have been together 30 years yeah. are the ones that work yes. daily practice. Yeah. A commitment every single day to be loyal. Yeah. A commitment every single day to be um, compassionate. Yes. And to listen and to be understanding mm -hmm. and to clean and to do the laundry and to help with the kids. Every single day, mm -hmm. all of those things are a choice. You have to be diligent because our lower nature, it's easy for it to take over. Yeah. All the voices that are uh, easy to be uh, selfish to easy mm. to fall into that trap yeah. and it happens to good people yeah, yeah. even the best right. best people that you looked have been married 25 30 years have a great one if they're not diligent yeah, in yeah. how they treat this plant and water it properly with the right fertilizer yeah. all the time i don't care how great the plant is eventually it starts to wilt mm -hmm. yeah you have to fertilize it and water it properly and i'm 10 years in and i'm doing great yes you are <laughs> and i take that for uh, for granted mm -hmm. and that plant starts to wilt absolutely yeah. I one model that I have like in love too is consideration is the highest form of love. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I consider, you know, if I'm getting a new rug, if I'm getting a new, I don't know, sheets in my place because I share a space with somebody now, I consider what that person would think of those things. I, I think that consideration is just a way that I can continue to express my love even when I'm not with that person or communicating with that person. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be busy for the next few days. Like, let me consider how I can be a better partner even mm. through distance. Let me consider right. how I can take their opinion or how it could impact them. Mm. It's everything I do. Yeah. Obviously, whatever I'm going to make for breakfast this morning when it's just me, I don't have to have consideration in that moment. But if I'm ordering food for myself and my partner, then consideration is absolutely important. Yeah. It just it, on the small scale to large things. But it's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I love has been a very, very um, eye-opening experience for me to really experience it for what it is without getting my own way. Yeah. Yeah. It's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing all of that. Yeah. What is it, Jalen, what does it mean for you to be man enough? I think being man enough is subjective to my own view of what a man is, my subjective view on who I am. And I think to be man enough in this world is to just be myself. I think being myself is the greatest power that I can possess with this idea of being man enough, you know, this feminine and masculine energy that we intertwine and haven't had in conversation, but to be man enough is to be myself, to be aware, to be powerful, to be responsible for my own actions, to be uh, spreading and showing love to people. So to be myself is to be man enough. To be Jalen is to be man enough. To be you is man enough. And I think the way that I try to be aware of, is this an outside influence of what the definition of a man is, or is this my definition of a man? Because from our conversation today, it's, it's my definition of man is probably drastically different mm -hmm. than what a lot of other people would consider to be a man. But that, 
it's my opinion because yeah. it's my life. Like that's all I have to re- hmm. be responsible for is what I consider to be a man. And Jalen is man. Yeah. I know that. And if I'm always myself, I'm always aware and always giving myself the love I need and the responsibility it takes to be myself, then I'm man enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually most people don't think that much differently than what you think being sure. man enough is. Mm-hmm. I think it's 10%, but that 10% is so, so loud so loud and yeah. so big that it puts us on opposite ends of the earth. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. But really, we probably get a bunch of men who think that there's brute strength, burly man yeah. that do this and hunt and kill all their stuff and, and never talk to their wife and children with a kind tone. And you talk, say the other side of the spectrum, and I bet you you put them in the same room and most things are similar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's that 10, 20%. I think it's that same yeah, idea of living for yourself versus living for other people. Right. I'm the main character in my own life. Yeah. Obviously, if when I have a, a partner and family, I have to consider other people and, and, and live for myself to support other people. But I think a lot of times people live for other people's definition of a man, of success, or what, all they that. what they other think other people want. It's not what, even yeah, really Yeah, so I think often. that's part of my, de- within that definition of being Sweet. myself. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But we got to be better so that Liz herself, when you find that partner that you mm-hmm. are going to have, Unfreeze your eggs. For, <laughs> yeah. um, well, not you're going to do it for them, but that you want to do it with them. With, yeah. Um, we need a man that's gone through, or or woman. I know that you're open mm-hmm. to either one that can yes, love you. And we're open. Right. Yeah. We're taking but, submissions. <laughs> but from the man's perspective, uh, we need to be better so we can show up for you because you're all everything wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and show up uh, for everyone and each other. Yeah. Yeah. Thank that. you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, dude. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. We really appreciate yeah. you yeah. joining us. Yeah. Yeah. I say on behalf of Justin likes to say, um, if he were listening, he would indeed say that mm. you are, in his eyes, man enough. Oh, thank you, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that, you want to take us out, Liz? I sure can. Uh, if you like what you heard... Come and come and search for more. Uh, watch us on YouTube. Where? Where were they watching? Uh, on YouTube. Oh, I see. You can also listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's right. It's free. You can just listen to any episode. We've been doing this for a while now. That's right. And you can go back and old ones and share them with your friends. Um, we love when we uh, when you stop us on the street and you tell us that an episode you know helped you with your dad or with a partner. Mm. We really really appreciate you sharing this show with more people in this community. We will see you next week. I'm Jamie Heath. I'm Liz Plank. Who are you? I'm Jay the Noble. <laughs> Sir. And this is Man, Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra-Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer, Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing, and Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.